Good news. As a subscriber, you are automatically entered to win a 6-0 album, Twinsmen. We're giving it away on March 1st, and you'll hear lots more about it in the coming weeks. I've already recorded a conversation with Shaper Matt Parker, uh, reviewing the surfboard, doing a deep dive. He and I are actually uh, the same size, so he shaped this specific board, wrote it a few times for R&D purposes, then he gave it to me, and I've been writing it all through the month of January, and now it'll be yours, gently used, loaded with our own underachievements and self-loathing. No, I kid, you'll love the board, and you'll hear why I love it in the coming weeks. Anyways, thanks for the subscription support, without which today's show wouldn't have been possible. So, enjoy this one. Von Deadly, aka Von Blakey. Does he even need an introduction? I'd say if you're listening to a surf podcast, then you certainly already know who he is as the co-host of Ain't That Swell, which is a podcast. It is a uh, hilarious, irreverent, very Australian perspective on surf news. And I'd also say that its greatest success is offering a really crystalline portrait of surf culture without any editorializing, without any advertiser influence. It's a glimpse at Australian surf culture, better represented than any other medium that I know. But Vaughn's really a magazine man originally, and my favorite work of Vaughn's are his films. Within the past year alone, he's responsible for the hilariously scripted and original Postcards from Morgues, a Rip Curl produced COVID-themed send-up of their own franchise, The Search, Vaughn's also responsible for last week's internet-breaking Free Scrubber, a dream project for any surf filmmaker. Tom Kern had been marooned in Mexico for months during COVID, and Rip Curl selected Vaughn for the role of sorting through and piecing together all of the raw footage of surfing, B-roll, and interviews that Tom compiled while he was in Mexico. And that is the precise reason why I wanted to catch up with Vaughn, to discuss that film, the rest of his work, and the current landscape of surf media. So, without further ado, here's an actual influencer, a man responsible for curating a large portion of your surf media diet over the past two and a half decades. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Vaughn Blakey. How you going, David? Wonderful. How are you doing? I'm good, mate. I'm really good. You're probably living pretty high right now coming off of the release of that? Oh, man. I um, I was really confident that it was going to be well-received until yesterday morning. Then I just totally, like, all the fear started, like, bubbling to the surface. You know, like, because it's just such a, uh, I don't know, it's such a new look at Tom as a person. And uh, I just didn't know whether I'd taken it too far and that we were like, you know, trampling all over the legacy of a God kind of thing. <laughs> I didn't even think about that angle. I was going to, my initial thought was you can't, I mean, it's Tom Curran. Everybody's going to be happy to get Tom Curran footage, but you're absolutely right. There's actually <laughs> a huge liability there that, yeah, you could uh, maybe defile people's image of it. Well, yeah, it's a weird one. I, I think that like, uh, I knew always that Tom was, you know, a personality that really we we didn't we've never tapped into properly in film. I think like there's probably been interviews over the years in, um, you know, the old mags and stuff like that where he was probably uh, speaking the truth and stuff, but you don't hear his voice. And yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, he's just been the mystery man, like the eternal perpetual mystery man for so so long. And uh, yeah, I just felt like when I first saw all the raw footage when it first came in. I felt like I was getting the real guy, like a real glimpse okay. at, at how he works and who he is and 
So I didn't really have any fear about taking it, uh, the, the free scrubber film, as far as we could possibly take it, uh, as left as we wanted. Uh, that one of the few conversations I had with Tom after uh, we sort of agreed to, to make it was, um, you know, I said, hey, man, this is pretty abstract. I'd really like to go pretty pretty far out there with it. And he was just like, bend it, man. Bend it as hard as you can. So Amazing. I was just frothing on that. But, you know, I know that uh, surfing, in, in my world, like surfing is something to just, it's like an endless source of fun and it's ridiculous and it's serious and it's all that. But, you know, I've spent enough time in California to know that it's, it, it is religious for some people. And Tom sits right up the tree as far as like being the, you know, the top of the, uh, I don't know, the, the Jesus figure, if you like. Totally. And uh, yeah, so it just, just dawned on me that morning. I was like, Oh my God, I hope I don't, uh, you know, freak people out too much with this. But in the end, it wasn't really my choice. Tom was Tom. And, we got that window into who he is just because, um, yeah, the guy who was there, Andy Potts, managed to really get him, you know, loose and free and I think being himself in a way that we'd never seen before. Um, you can rest comfortably. It was very well received by the internet. And the internet can be vile anyways. Like, they'll find something to troll no matter what. Mm. But, I mean, I absolutely loved it. Every bit of commentary I've seen about it, people loved it. Um, let me ask you though, the opening shot, was that staged? No, not one bit. No, man. Dude, I thought you got a Tom Curran lookalike and set up that whole (laughs) shot just to open the film. Well, it's so funny because, um, Neil Ridgway, you know, the guy who, uh, is the international head of marketing for Rip Curl. He, he was my first boss when I first, uh, started working at Tracks Magazine when I was 17. Yeah. Um, and so we've worked together, you know, throughout our entire careers. But it was only just in the last sort of four years that he said, oh, we, we want to inject a bit more uh, personality into our clips just because they're beautifully shot. Surfing, you can't argue with it. Everything about them is just A+. But he wanted a bit more irreverence and a bit of craziness. And I was thought, this is the easiest job in the world because it's like I knew enough about Mick and Mason and Tom and the, just the whole team, Owen, they're, they're all mad in their own brilliant ways mm-hmm. uh, when you get to know them. And so it was a, a pretty easy brief. But when he sent me that footage, he was like, look, I've got this trip. I've got all this stuff of, uh, of Tom in Mexico. Um, do you want to have a quick look at it and see if we can do something with it? And that was actually the first thing I watched. And I just couldn't believe it. I was just going, oh, my God, this is like this is going to be epic no matter what. And I, I, I said to him when I first uh, got it back in contact with him, I was like, mate, you could run all of this footage, like just as it is uncut and it would be a revelation. People would sit there for, because I, I sat there just mesmerized by the entire, you know, uh, just hours and hours of footage. I was yeah. just going, this is, this is incredible. Like I couldn't believe the on land stuff. I couldn't believe just how, yeah, just like like we said, how loose and free Tom was, just how unguarded he was. There was just no hint of any sort of protecting anything and uh, or, or just being uncomfortable in front of the camera. Yeah. And, uh, and the surfing, I mean, that just spoke for itself, you know. Like you're watching Tom on, on a two-foot perfectly groomed, reeling right point, and this was before I got to the big day gear. And I was right. just thinking, this is incredible. And, and that was the one thing Ridgeway and I completely agreed on. I was just, he was going, man, with the surfing, like, I don't think we really need to cut it that much. And I don't think we did. I think if there was a half decent wave in there, it, it made the clear. Wow. So how much did you leave out? Probably just waves that, that Tom lost interest in. Because, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, at, I, I at 15 were, minutes, I wanted more. You know, it was like, if there was yeah. 45 minutes of it, I would have watched all of it. For sure, man. And that, that was like the, I think that we just, we just did what you do. You log your stuff and, you know, if there was anything half decent, we, we wanted it in. And it was just, uh, and we kind of, it, it was a really tricky one because you weren't looking for, for bangers. You weren't looking for these like big sort of glory moments that sort of uh, act as exclamation marks on rides. And, and so I think that when we were putting together that whole headspace of like what, what makes this like mesmerizing epic surfing? 
And it was just the poise and the balance yeah. and the absolute currentness of it all. Like totally. it's just so him. And totally. um, yeah, I think that the, the, the best compliment really in uh, some of the feedback that I've had is I just wanted more. Like you yeah. just said, mate. So, I mean, that's, that's always a great sign because I think the hardest thing with a clip is keeping people engaged. For sure. So mm. what, um, I'm curious what your vision was as the director. Um, what was the initial conceit and did you feel like you executed it? Yeah, I think the initial, I think my main thing was I just was, I was more worried that we were going to, overcook it and lose just his personality so like the whole main thing for me was just like make sure that we get the very best of him being him and build little vehicles and structures around it that amplify how good this is so i wasn't really trying to get overly uh dominating with my own ideas i was just going how do we like put these little moments into frames so we've got enough of a uh, sort of a narrative, I guess, because it's it sort of just bounces around. But yeah. I was just going, okay, well, the secret is don't try and force things into uh, certain times or, uh, you know, the construct of having an idea and making that idea have to go from start to finish. It was just like set it up, let it run its course, and if it's only 15 seconds, cut it and just go straight to the next thing. Okay. Because the whole trip, you still get a vibe of exactly what's going on. It's... Uh, the early days of COVID, there's this sort of awkward, unsettling sort of like, why are we here? What are we doing? You can hear um, Andy Potts at one stage really early in the interview. He says, like, are we being naive just being here and sort of like ignoring everything? And then Tom's just completely ignoring him. And, uh, you know, he's just... He even shushes him. Yeah. Which I, was, just, which I was thinking is like, that's something that other people would have cut out of the... An other director would have cut out of the film. And that is where I think your tone was spot on mm. is that it's not um, it's funny, but it's not making fun of Tom. It's letting it's showing that he is kind of aloof and he's fully tuned in and aware, but he's shushing Andy, not because he doesn't want Andy to talk or hear about COVID. He's shushing him because he's like, who gives a crap about that? I'm playing this little riff right now on the piano. <laughs> and, and I think that's reflected in the, um, like the font that was used for the dialogue mm. and by you misspelling words because Andy mispronounced the word, you know, yeah, like that was, all of that, that was Bugs, perfect. man. That, so Andy was the Australian. Was Bugs. Okay. Yeah. So Bugs was chatting. I was just like, I think that um, Tom is actually just shushing himself. That's how I read it because he, he accidentally puts that little drum track on and then he's like, oh, so, sorry, we're talking oh, about okay. the search. We're being filmed. I've got to take this serious. And, right, right, right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's clearly, like, just so uh, disengaged with, like, what's going on in the world and, and uninterested. Like, it just seems like he just wants to be where he, I don't know, he's just in the moment so heavily. And all of that sort of like having to think about all that other things, it just, it almost, you can see while he's doing that, he's just more interested in not talking about it or doing anything else. This which, is why we love him. This exactly. is exactly how I want to live my life. Because even right now, before I came in to do this, I was talking to my girlfriend and I was like super stressed out. I'm trying to do some stuff on the website and it's crashing and mm. I hired a freelancer and he's kind of not replying to me. And I told her, I go, you know, tomorrow everything will be fine. Because even if this guy bails, I can I have a backup of the site. I can hire somebody else. We'll reinstall the backup. And within 24 hours, everything will be fine. I need to learn how to not feel the anxiety for this 24 hours. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a really like, hard thing to do. I know, totally. But that's what Tom's doing, you know, is like, yeah, sure. There's a pandemic out there somewhere. I don't know. I've got an empty point break right out in front. Who cares? <laughs> like, that's what I'm doing. It's just, uh, yeah, it's wild. I mean, like if you think back to that, that how uncertain we were all feeling about like yeah. what's going to happen, how is this going to play out? And you just, you put yourself in that mind space and then watch this. And it, it definitely takes on a whole different feeling because you're just going, this guy just doesn't care. He's just like cruising. And actually totally. the one thing that I, I was kind of relating to though was just the longer they're there and the more he starts to sort of entertain himself, the more that was... I started to begin to relate to it because I was going, man, we're all in lockdown. We all had our own ways of coping with it. And, but you were definitely at times going, 
where is this going? Like, what's going on? Where do we go from here? Hold on. And, uh, yeah, but I think he, he did it better than most of us because he had empty, you know, empty waves that just looked incredible. Oh, I mean, he ended up so in the perfect. He ended up in the perfect location. How did Andy, I don't know Andy Potts, uh, how did he end up on that trip? Um, look, my, I actually haven't spoken to Andy. We've only uh, exchanged just a couple of messages, but I, I know that he, he was sort of, um, I think he was employed to actually go on it oh, and okay. get down there. But then everything started shutting down. And he got stuck there and he went up to the border to try and get back and they wouldn't let him in. And then the, the military at some stage was saying, you know, you've got to get out of here, but they couldn't move. And there was just all this harassment. The gringos were getting shipped out of the, the, the towns that they were uh, staying in. And they just, I think it was more stressful than, uh, than it appears. The, the story of how, of what was going on around this trip is quite gnarly, but mm. I didn't really want to go down that path. For me, this was like an opportunity to just make something really enjoyable, showcase Karen at 57 years old, surfing in a way that was just um, just so enjoyable to watch, super relative, but also just, I don't know, it just was like a full wake-up call and a reminder of just like how fun surfing can be when you're not trying too hard. Yeah. Like if you, it just exactly. takes off. He's just in the pocket. He's perfectly poised. His balance is perfect. The little twinnies that he's on look so, so good, especially those new CI um, uh, twins that, that he's riding in there. And it was just like, wow, this is so refreshing. This is surfing like as it should be for all of us. And we should all be able to sit back, watch your John Johns, watch your Mick Fannings, understanding exactly what they do is uh, the 1% of the 1% is what yeah. I heard Sam McIntosh describe it as once and just enjoy that for what it is. And then look at a guy like Karen and go, Oh man, I'm, I don't need to sort of judge myself or judge too hard what ripping is because this looks like the funnest thing in the world. looks like something we can all relate to. It's what, and it's what John, John and Mick both aspire to. Yeah. Big time, man. I think like when Karen first went searching, everyone got a big wake up call about sort of like what sort of surfing they wanted to do. Cause it sort of split heavily. Um, that not the first time it started, you know, when he disappeared into France with uh, Morris and started working on all those boards and then he came back, did that world title run. But that next split where he really went on the search and all that J Bay footage started turning up and everyone was just like, wow. Cause the dream tour was still a couple of years off. And uh, he made everyone start to go, hang on a minute, what sort of surfing are we aspiring to do and, and are we getting off on here? Yeah. So, yeah, well, I mean, he's I, always been that leader. You talk about him taking off on the wave and I had that epiphany too watching it was, God, I get to my feet and I just start moving. I just start like pumping down the line <laughs> and trying to like, oh, there's a section up there. I'm going to try to get over there. And it's embarrassing. It's, mm. it's like, it's... Um, not graceful, you know, it's not dignified. And it's because I'm busy all day watching clips of Idolo surfing. And the reality is I will never even come close to surfing like Idolo. What he's doing is on an entirely different plane. And so is Tom, but at least Tom's is aspirational where it was a reminder as I'm watching it, I go, Oh, you just, I can get to my feet. Oh, what do I do then? Oh, you just stand there. And you wait for the wave and then you see your opportunity and you just sit into your hips and you push into the board and the board takes you there. And I'm like, Oh, yeah. it's so simple. This is all that I need to watch. Forget, delete everybody else. Just watch this over and over. And I still won't achieve it, but it's, it's relatable. Yeah. Yeah. I talk about this with Kidman heaps. Cause uh, last year I was on, I was just struggling to find good boards and I like, I love that podcast you did with anchor. It was so so cool to just hear him. Uh, yeah, he's just a board aficionado anyway. But, you know, he, he's sort of someone who I talk to for advice about what's going on. And, and it's just like, I feel like when I'm surfing now, like I get off on just being in the right place at the right time once. Exactly. Once. Totally. <laughs> and so I think, that, yeah, all these different influences and the ways that you want to, uh, I don't know, perform can just be stripped back to such minimal feelings. And 
yeah, I, I reckon that's why this clip is actually sort of connecting with people is because, uh, yeah, it's like we get to see Tom and uh, it's really genuinely funny without trying to be because, mm-hmm. you know, it's all based on just how he's behaving. Yeah. But the surfing in it, man, is just so fun to watch, isn't it? It's just like you just can watch it and like you said, over and over and just be going, what's he doing that is making, that is just so alluring here and it's pretty much nothing. Yep. <laughs> That's so weird. You're right. It's stripping it down to the minimal form yeah. and it's related to his headspace though of being in the moment, being present and just cutting, shutting everything out and just being right here. You don't need any, mm. anything else, you know? Nah, it's a good feeling. I got a question for you. Um, so I'm wondering if, so like surfing's crowded and more uh, busy than it's ever been before, right? Cause everybody mm. in 2020 had free time on their hands. Surfboard sales are booming. All these new people in the water. Can those people, the new surfers, the vows, can they appreciate Tom Curran? They don't, let's say, let's presume they don't have a context for who Tom Curran is like you and I do. They're new to the thing. This clip drops. They watch it. Do they appreciate it? Or do they appreciate seeing Idolo fly through the air? Whew, what a good question. Um, yeah. Man, that's a really good question. I, I, I guess it just depends on what sets you off. Like, I, I don't know. Like, you and I have the, the whole legacy of Curran from, you know, 17 to now to 57. So that journey is something that has always been bewildering and exciting and mysterious. And so, you know, we watch it with this massive filter. Um, what's, what it's like to try and understand Karen without that filter, I've got no idea. But I would imagine if you're seeing a clip like this and you're getting kind of past the, um, I don't know how abstract sort of it's all put together and you're just looking at the surfing, then you'd have to be able to take away just how beautiful it looks at the very least. Like even if your understanding of style and all that is minimal, just to see a guy who's, you know, uh, like I say, 57, I don't want to go on about that, but like to be as green limbed and as uh, sort of agile and to have that much spark in your surfing at at that age, effortlessly, like it looks Mm -hmm. so easy. For sure there's got to be takeaways. It's a hard one for me to answer. I guess like uh, I don't really have a problem with people learning surf. Like more people surfing, in my view, is is good thing because uh, yeah, I just I just think it's just such a fun thing to do that that brings so much joy to my life. Like I think it makes me a better person. I hope it does, and hopefully yeah. that would uh, that would spread for everyone's experience. So you'd have to talk to them, mate. I don't know. That's a hard one to answer. I really don't know. But I feel like just watching good surfing when you really love it, it, it stands out for reasons that you can't quite articulate anyway. So yeah, yeah, maybe. I, I would like to think that they do would be able to appreciate it because I think that um, beauty and style is its own like reason for being, you know, and is it mm. appreciate. Um, you can appreciate it regardless of context, you know? Yeah. You just, you're talking about like, can you, like you're looking for a connection. You just want to have an emotional connection with whatever it is you're giving your time to. If if you're giving your time to a a surf clip, I mean, one of the big challenges that I think every filmmaker has is like, they want people to feel not like they're watching something cool, but that they're, they've got a genuine connection to it, an emotional reaction. Like and I, I love the I love the feeling of making people laugh, stoking people out, and giving them surfing that is you know incredible. Whether yeah. it's Mick, Mason, Tom, whoever, yeah. But most of the time, when you're dealing with these sorts of characters, their personality is so strong within their surfing that you you almost have to try hard not to to to, to blow it. In totally. some respects, totally. But you, you're walking a fine line, always. I reckon you kind of like you can get lost in your own self-importance, and you you either put too much stuff in that doesn't need to be there, or you you stress too much and you take too much out, and it's just a big dance, man. Like all those filmmakers, like all my favourite filmmakers at the moment, whether it's like uh, Andrew Kidman or um, Toby Cregan. Uh, Jack McCoy, Joe G, like all of those guys who are absolute legends. Taylor Steele, obviously, like 
they're just masters at making you feel like you're a part of something. And that's why I think that this feels good because everyone's mm. going, yes, I'm connecting yeah. with surfing, surfing I relate to, surfing that I loved when I was a kid, surfing that still means something to me now. Yeah, That's a cool feeling. Well, my girlfriend doesn't follow surfing at all and I never make her watch surfing. But last night I was like, hey, do you mind if I put this on the TV in the living room for 15 minutes? She sat next to me. She watched the entire thing, like which she never has before. So I think that that speaks to something. Oh man, my I think the best compliment, the best compliment I got was when we just finished and we had the first edit of it, and I brought it home and I showed my wife Ali, and she got to the end and she's like, "Oh my god, I want this guy to come over for dinner." No way. <laughs> He's like, she, she was like, "What a legend!" Just loved him. He just thought he was totally lovable, really interesting, yeah. and. Just, I was like, wow, that's like as good as it gets. The reason why I asked that question of whether or not the Vals have an appreciation for Tom Curran, or maybe it just falls on deaf ears for them. Last I checked two hours ago, it had 100,000 downloads, or is right about at 100,000 uh, views on YouTube. Mm -hmm. 28 thumbs downs. <laughs> I was like, who's giving this a thumbs down? Like, how dumb do you have to be to thumbs down this thing? Right. Uh, I guess uh, as soon as you put something out, you just you're inviting someone in a bad mood to tee off on it. That's I the am, only explanation I have. <laughs> I was tripping. I'm like, that says so much more about that person than it does about Tom Curran or the film. Um, talking about R Neil Ridgeway, what is your deal with Rip Curl? Um, just I, I've got like a uh, well, I don't know. I've had a relationship with. Rip Curl, uh, since, I mean, since I was just a tiny grom and I got my first wetsuit. So, uh, but yeah, that's, it's just that, uh, mostly, um, Neil and I, he was probably the first proper mentor I ever had in my life, uh, outside of my parents and stuff. Um, I started work, I left high school before I even got to the end of it. I left in when I was just turned 17, went to work at Tracks Magazine. Uh, Gary Dunn was the editor. He ended up being the Rip Curl team manager. And then uh, Neil Ridgway was the deputy editor. He went on to be editor. And he was just probably the most formative person I've ever had in my life. He was like a dad, a big brother, you know, a best mate. Uh, super creative, super talented, super driven. And um, he sort of veered off into uh, deep into the publishing industry when he left tracks. And then he ended up, you know, taking over marketing at Rip Curl and um, we just stayed best friends, but yeah, like I say, uh, my relationship with those guys is purely, um, sort of case by case. And, and uh, I've got re really good relationships with a lot of the companies, you know, uh, with Quicksilver and Billabong and stuff. And I do random things with, with, uh, different crew, depending on what I'm working on at the time with, um, you know, ain't that swell. We've got like a really strong relationship with Billabong. They sponsor all our live shows and stuff like that. And, uh, just sort of dipping and out of, of projects, mate. Like I, I, uh, I feel pretty privileged and lucky, I guess, that I like trying my hand at different things. And uh, I just, it just sounds cheesy, but I just love surfing so much. I love sort of like getting stuck into all the little different corners that I can get into. And um, yeah, I guess just making films through Curl is, is sort of my role with those guys at the moment. And uh, I really love it. It's just a sick team. I absolutely love their surf team. They're just the best people ever. Like, usually I'm away with Mick and Mason and I'm just pinching myself, just going like, how good is this? I just, I worked in an office for 25 years and the day I quit, Rip Curl rang up and said, how would you like to go on the search with, with those guys? And I was just like, what is this? This is the best life ever. Crazy. So yeah, super lucky, man. And I'm just, you know, I'm super grateful for the opportunities that I get with those dudes. Do you have any ambitions as a filmmaker? Um, good question. I guess like, yeah, like deep down, I've always had a, a bit of a plan to try and make, uh, you know, a proper long form cinematic movie. Non-surf? Um, Non-surf. Yeah. I've had a few ideas for that, but um, I don't know. Don't know. Ambitions sort of change as you get older. Like, we're, like ten years ago, my ambitions were definitely to sort of like head in this direction and and be doing what I'm doing now. But 
most of my ambitions are sort of taken up with sort of steering my kids in the right direction and getting in the surf more and just simplifying men. Like I, I don't really, uh, I look at like all the stuff I get to do is like the best um, opportunity to have a great life, which is, is as good as it needs to be for me. I, I don't really uh, think beyond that. And, you know, I've, uh, I've got like a really, I don't know, I've got really great kids and uh, they're sort of teenagers now. And so I just feel all my focus heading in those directions. And if I can just surf and get to do what I do and hopefully have opportunities to, yeah, sort of branch out more. But I don't think I'm in a place where I'll sort of sacrifice uh, sort of, you know, the happiness of my day-to-day life for the sake of ambition, if that makes sense. Did you during those 25 years that you were sitting in an office? Oh, for sure. Definitely. Because, um, you know, like my first round with the mags, 17 to sort of like 25, um, I was just super young and I felt like I didn't really know what surfing meant to me yet. I was just completely on that hamster wheel of being uh, in the industry and loving it, frothing, frothing on it, did some awesome stuff. But uh, the second go around when I took over surfing world, I felt much more comfortable with who I was. I knew what sort of surfing stories I wanted to tell. I had an incredible crew to work with, Tim Baker, Sean Doherty, Kidman, uh, Nick Carroll, they were, Reggae Ellis, they were all a part of this sort of unit that we formed at Surfing World and they were the, probably the most satisfying 10 years I ever had working and I was really committed to it. Um, but, yeah, after 10 years, mate, you just you just sting to get more time in the water and that, that was yeah. probably the biggest sacrifice I made. Even though our office was across the road from the beach, you just sort of always put the deadline first and you had to because, you know, the mag's got to get done. Yeah. Well, that was actually going to be my question is, do you have to, like when you look back now, could you have managed that time with less of the stress and anxiety and still made good quality work? Yeah. Big time. I I think that, uh, uh, when Kidman was at waves, he was, uh, I think he became the editor of waves magazine, which was like a, really big mag in Australia. I think he was 19 and um, he might've even been younger, but he was the Aussie champ at the time. He won an Aussie title and I'd be in there at tracks and I was uh, 17. So he'd been in the job for a couple of, I don't know, maybe five years by the time I got there. And I never saw him, never, ever saw him. Like he'd come to work, he'd, he'd get called into the office to get chewed out by the bosses for never being there. He'd yell at them for being kooks (laughs) <laughs> just tear them to pieces, go back to his desk, maybe write a story or maybe like talk to his art director and then just take off. And the mags he made at that time, mate, like I think he finds them embarrassing or whatever, but to me, they're still some of the most cutting edge mags around because that was in the full midst of Slater mania. And he was putting like Wayne Lynch on the cover. Hmm. Like he was that far ahead of the curve. It was just mental. And I think that, uh, you know, uh, even though uh, I got to sort of have my second run at Surf Mags with Surfing World, I just had had that work ethic of, of deadline being king and all that sort of stuff. I should have uh, sort of taken a bit more of a leaf out of Kidman's book and chilled out a bit. I'm learning that lesson, dude. I I take things way too seriously. And in, in with very little hindsight, I look back and I'm just like, what was I thinking? You know, mm-hmm. and, and as a result, I've uh, structured my priorities incorrectly. Like I, I have not surfed nearly enough for the past five years that the podcast has kind of been growing. I just prioritize work and I'm not happy for it. And then the work suffers because I don't have surfing as an input, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. And it's hard, man. When things get on a roll, you feel obligated to sort of really take advantage of that. And, no. um, but definitely after, after that surfing world stint, when I left, I was like, that's it. Like, like having fun is paramount over everything else. Like, and not that, you know, you don't have priorities and things you've got to do. Like I've definitely got that, that part of your life is unavoidable and, and it, it's worthy of, uh, you know, paying attention to or everything will fall to pieces eventually. But I think the main thing is that, uh, yeah, all that stress you're talking about. I mean, you know, I've got a podcast with Jed Smith here, Ain't That Swell. And, mate, we release potties with no regularity it's it's the biggest shit show ever but the the payoff in that is that it always is fun 
Like yeah. it's never gotten to it. Like we, we've drifted almost into into that turf where we're like starting to like you know get stressed out, and then we just let it go, and it doesn't matter, good. and it feels good. It feels good because like you, you can approach that stuff and with that attitude and you, like you said, you're going to get up the next day, you'll be in a different mood. You can actually even approach your problems with enthusiasm rather than being stressed out about them. So sometimes totally. it's just best to just not stress. Totally. Mm. Yeah. I, um, I was going to ask you about ain't that swell later, but we might as well do it now since you're talking about it. I was, the first thing I was going to ask you is what's the production schedule? <laughs> Cause it is so <laughs> sporadic. Mate, absolutely. If Smithy's around and I'm around and we're both in the mood, we go, let's do it tomorrow. And that's it. <laughs> that's amazing. there's almost no schedule there it's it's been so sick though because um one of the real uh sort of what was it one of the one of the real sort of like uh responsibilities that i felt when i took over surfing world was that that mag was sort of our version of surfer it, it kicked off in 62 um you know guys like nat young and uh midget and uh you know I don't know, Tom Carroll and Terry Fitzgerald and these guys, they still read it when I took over. It was like, you know, and Kai Fitzgerald actually said to me in the car park the day before I started, like, oh, I hear you're taking over Surfing World. Don't fuck it up. And I was like, oh, cool, okay, (laughs) no pressure. And um, so I kind of like, even right up until my last day, never really let myself just cut loose with the title. Uh, I just felt like I had to keep in mind everyone who loved it and still used it as as an anchor. Mm. Um, you know, as, as their sort of voice, as their connection to everything that was going on now. And so, uh, you know, uh, once we hit Ain't That Swell, um, I was able to really just sort of let the shackles off and find my own voice a bit more. And um, Smivy's, you know, so hyper-intelligent, so connected and engaged with, uh, you know, the working class issues in the world, what's going on, that we've just got this awesome dynamic where we kind of bounce off each other and, and we, we both sort of see surfing for what it is. Like it's, it's the funnest thing in the world. You can take it seriously and there are things to be taken seriously, but mostly it's just an absolute privilege to be able to do it in the first yeah. place. So ripping into it and getting too over the top with it for me, feels like you're wasting, you, you, you're taking something that's so golden and so special and makes you feel so good. And you're actually bringing it down into the swamp. So it's a great way of putting it. Yeah. I just feel like there's no need to be like that. Right. So yeah, I'm not saying that there's not room for criticism and uh, you know, there's definitely a place to call people out and be make people accountable for sort of, you know, the things that we don't like that has to be there. Like it's gotta be. And um, things like beach grit are fucking awesome at doing it. They do such yeah. a good job. And uh, I think that's really healthy that that exists. But me personally, I just have a, a very, very like, I, I don't know, very little in surfing doesn't stoke me out. Yeah. <laughs> very little. In regard to the podcast. Did I answer the question? I actually just went on a mad tangent. Then, sorry, you bro. did. You <laughs> did. No, it was good. Uh, I let those things go. Those often are way better than my questions anyways. <laughs> um, in regard to the podcast, are you guys making money? Um, I think that the opportunity for us to make good money would be, is there, but it's just one of those things, mate. Unless we like treat it like a business and start sort of taking it more seriously, those opportunities probably pass us by. Like we're not out there hunting partnerships or anything like that. Um, yeah. we've, we've tried, like we've, we've definitely tried, but Smithy and I, Look, I reckon it's 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 there to make money. Like the, the thing is, we um, we do live shows, and that's that that gives us a little bit of money to put in the bank to make t-shirts. And mostly, mate, it's just about sharing it with the community. Like it sounds like it's it sounds almost impossible to believe that you could have uh, an audience who are engaged, who are passionate, and all that sort of stuff, and um, not sort of try to take advantage of it. But we just yeah. don't think about it like that. Yeah. Not yet. Maybe about, one day. Well, what about with surf films? Is there a sustainable business model for surf films at this point? Um, for you, obviously, they come project by project, and it's Rip mm. Curl using it as a marketing piece. But you know the inner workings of the business, and they don't exist in the way that they used to exist. And so we have 
Kidman making these individual pieces that take years and then selling individual units to mm-hmm. hope to recoup the cost. But is there a sustainable model for surf films moving forward? Definitely. Yeah, I think yeah. that's, I think Kidman's basically got the blueprint that works. You, but does you, he make money on it? You know, like, I don't know well, that I there's, I don't the, know that the there's thing is like, are you, Yeah, if your agenda is just to make money, if it's just to like make stuff that makes money, then I can't see, that's got a, like a real time limit on joy like, or, or like uh, satisfaction about it. Like, definitely not um like we all need it like i'm I'm not uh sort of being overly philosophical about my own position with that stuff but uh i, I guess what I, like kidman has a kidman has a story to tell like he's got a passion right and and there's a lot of people out there who believe in that and want to hear that story and they're the people he's interested in making films for uh i think that the people who are you know going down the shop and, and buying like a, a a pop out surfboard model of their favorite pro, he's probably not that fussed whether they buy his movie or not. So, but I just think that, yeah, there's, there's enough people surfing and there's enough uh, sort of people who are intelligent about what they love about surfing, where you can just create your own niche, make your own films, find your own little pocket and make a dime out of it. I think for sure that that's, that's doable. It's just like how much money do you want to make and how much growth do you want to, getting to to be satisfied i think that's where yeah the real question is because the you were starting by saying that um look if you're doing it to make money and my argument isn't that you should do any of it to make money but it has to make money if you want to continue to do it you know like i would like to see kidman make more films i would like to see you make more films Mm. and so if there is a profit involved then of course Neil, Ridg- Neil Ridgway can throw more projects your way or what have you. And so, um, I, I mean, I try to be diligent about that too. Like with a podcast, if it doesn't make money, I can't go on for another eight or 10 years devoting 40 hours a week to this thing. So I got to figure out the model just to justify the workload kind of, but, not, too, not, but and like, like you said, not for the incentive to buy a mansion or get rich yeah. or something, just it's just a balance, man. If like, yeah, if you don't have that back end sorted, then you, you're going to get stressed out anyway. So like, yeah. there's no, you've just got to find that balance. But to me, like I say, there's, there's, uh, I think there's enough people surfing where you can, if you've got a passion for something, it's just about valuing or, or having uh, the faith in what you're making and what you want to tell to put a value on it. Yeah. And then if you're on the right track, that value will be respected and uh, invested in. Totally. And, and then, yeah, hopefully you can keep going. Yeah. Um, by the way, postcards from morgues. Yeah. It's freaking amazing. <laughs> Jeez, man. Who, I mean, who even came up with that concept? The concept uh, and the script were unbelievable. And morgues the, was so good. Yeah, mate. Yeah. Well, the concept was Ronnie. My brother actually came up with that because I was sitting with him and I was just going, um, there was no travel. You couldn't even leave the state. And, uh, you know, like we've got, I don't think we've ever had that in Australia that I can remember where you weren't allowed to go from New South Wales into Queensland. It's just, I can't remember that ever happening. And so, yeah, Rip Curl, like we want to do a search trip. We just want to do it close to home. And what can we do? There's swell. There was heaps of swell. So I just sat down with Ronnie one day and just went, what can we do, man? He said, why don't you just, I said, I knew the only thing I knew, I wanted to introduce morgues to the world because I was like, when he qualified, even I didn't know who he was. And, um, yeah, I was just going, this is, this is madness. Like, who is this Aussie kid? You normally see him coming from miles away if yeah. they're going to qualify. And uh, so I just knew I wanted him to be the, the centre point. And Ronnie was like, well, why don't you just get him writing postcards home talking about the trip? You know, like, I got to hang out with Mick. And then I, I just went from that into going on the trip. And we were going to, like basically sort of try and do it how we did um, outer inner space where we just mic'd everyone up and tried to just get organic conversation. But it was just classic because Morgs uh, hadn't really hung out with Mick before. So he was a little bit tentative around Mick. And uh, like, even after the first couple of hours, I was going, Oh no, this isn't really going to happen. So, cause you know, Mick and Mason chatting is, is just hilarious. But when you've got like a bit of a starstruck Brom hanging out with his idol, it's, it's a bit more stunted. 
Yeah. So, yeah, in the end, I just went, uh, we just did it all on the fly, mate. I was writing it every single day, writing a new little scene, and it just somehow, luckily, sort of patched together well. The script all is miracle. hilarious. Yeah. The script where he's like, hey, yeah. mom, it's me, Morgs, or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. introducing yeah. himself to his mom in every scene. It's such a, he's such a good personality, man. He's just such a raw, he's completely raw. I think even the um, High Performance Centre and Surfing Australia never really even saw him coming. Mm. Like, he, he, he missed all of that and then all of a sudden turns up to Sunset Beach gets through the heats he needs to get through and qualifies. Just Crazy. a miracle story. And, yeah, he's just a full rough diamond. So, yeah, getting to showcase that in that sort of uh, framework was so fun. Well, I'm impressed that Rip Curl could kind of see your vision and actually get out of your way creatively and let you just pull that together. Mm. Has there been any change at the company since they sold to Kathmandu in terms of um, – I don't know, putting the reins on you? Uh, not one bit, not one little bit. I, I actually, uh, the Rip Curl team in uh, Torquay, ever since I've worked with them and, and even before that when I was working at the Mags, has almost stayed identical. Like I, I go into the office and it's all the same faces that were there 15 years ago. Awesome. Or longer, or longer, like in the upper management, it's, it's all the same. And so, uh, man, they've just like, they, like aside from being like a company that must truly like value the input of everyone in the team, you know what I mean? Like if, if you've got that sort of leadership where you can say, all right, we hire you to do this job. You tell me what we're doing and where we should be going. And you can actually hear that you, you, you're pretty much styling. And I Amazing. think that like with the, uh, with the jobs that I've been hired to do with those guys, it's full blown. Just you, you go for it. And just send us what you've got and we'll try and be as open-minded as possible. That's, that's literally the brief every time. Amazing. And they had no idea what was coming with Postcard from Waltz. They didn't <laughs> know that we had them acting. They didn't know we had a script. They had no, no clue. If and I was you, just, dude, if you would have showed me yeah. anything other than the final product, if you involved me at any stage of de development, I would have said no to all of it. I would have been yeah. like, terrible idea. Now, who's yeah. Morgan? No, like... But the final product speaks for itself and it's genius yeah. and it's like better than anything we've seen in a long time. So, ah, cheers, man. Well, yeah, it's awesome them. having um, Mick Fanning is like an awesome ally with creativity, okay. which is just like, you know, I don't think people would really realize that, but he's, he spearheads anything that's different or anything that's exciting or, or that's going to like present surfing in a new way, okay. which is just like it, when you've got like sort of the, the number one guy and, you know, Basically, I mean, a global icon sort of saying, no, nah, no, nah, leave it with us. We'll, we'll make sure it's good. And, and back in your sort of vision, you just, you just know that you've got to make it work. Awesome. So that's, it's, yeah, it's sort of like a, it's a double, comes at you from both ways. You've got, the, uh, you've got the total freedom to do something good, but you've got the responsibility of all these like absolute legends putting their profile or, or their you know legacy or whatever you want to call it in your hands yeah so yeah you've got to treat it serious as well what's your um current role with surfing world um surfing world i just uh am a contributing writer for surfing world but i just couldn't be more stoked that you know in light of everything that's happened it's gonna keep going and sean doherty has has bought into it with john frank which is just the ultimate, uh, to me, that's like, uh, yeah, lunatics running the asylum, but <laughs> also, you know, two of the greatest lunatics in surfing history uh, who both have insane vision, really, really strong uh, sort of opinions about what they love about surfing and where it should be going and what's important. And uh, I just, to be a part of that family now, I think Nick Carroll's still involved and uh it's just awesome man it's just it's just one of those titles that i'm just so proud to have played a, a role in over the years yeah because um yeah it never really shifted around it was never owned by any giant conglomeration and, and it just has always had editors that uh i don't know steered it with uh, a lot of good intention good yeah. intention like always putting surfing first and and everything else sort of second i'm trying to get Sean to send me 
a batch of copies every issue that we could distribute through our website to anybody in the US who wants them. Sweet idea, man. And Kidman's doing it too with acetone. I think that'd be a great way to get them. Great idea, man. Yeah. And like, you know, like I, I I had this sort of feeling, it's a bit of a sad feeling after all those swirls that just happened in uh, Hawaii and at Mavericks. And I was like, man, where's the time capsule for this? You know, like surfers not there, surfing's not there. Um, yeah, it'll exist online, but the, you know, the framework of a magazine, the advertising, the graphic design, like what's in, like just purely like, you know, the style of that time is locked away in a, in a vehicle like a surf mag. And so it's just sad. Like I was the first proper sort of swell event where I was really feeling the loss of those big titles. Yeah. It was a bummer. Do you have a giant pile of magazines that you I do. You do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually, all my um, young, when I was young, the mag collection was so absurd. I had like a garage that was stacked from floor to ceiling, took up an entire garage. And uh, I mean, they all got wrecked in a flood, which oh, is no. pretty typical in Australia. And then, um, yeah, my dad's surf mag collection got wrecked in a flood too. And then uh, like now I've only got the surfing worlds that I worked on which is a bit of a bummer. Like I've got none of the, the 10 years of uh, waves and tracks that I did before that, but they're all around, man. You know, like they're there. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's nice if you can get somebody else to archive them for you. Yeah, exactly. I actually know like four or five people with entire collections of all of them, like yeah. every mag in Australia and all the American ones as well. Uh, yeah. Al Hunt, you know, Al Hunt, yeah. he does all the stats for the uh, WSL and um, Mick Mock and a couple of other collectors, a guy called Bobby Smith down at Surf World in Victoria. So they're there. I'm not panicking, but um, yeah, I just, I don't know how you feel, man, but like, I just reckon that, you know, like those swells deserve more than 24 hours on the front homepage of a, of a website. For but sure. Like those events that happen in Hawaii and at Mavericks, like they should live forever. They should be getting picked up again in a year, in 10 years, in 15, 25 years, because they're right next to a toilet. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's where that's the time you use to look at your phone, not to look at a magazine. <laughs> How oh, else am I, I going to catch up on I Instagram? Miss the days before phones, man. <laughs> um, so to wrap up, let's go back to Curran. What was your relationship like with Curran before being approached with this project? Uh, I can sum that up in probably five waves from different surf movies. Because okay. uh, yeah, my introduction to Curran was the opening wave of Pump where I don't know if you remember, it's like a heartbeat. It's this slow motion, first reef, just hair of your teeth, crystal, throaty orb at pipe, and he gets blown out with a spit, already doing a backside floater, which he falls off on. But I was like, who is that? Like, I was just completely sizzled me. And then um, my next sort of, after that, uh, my next sort of, vision of him was um in this movie called amazing surf stories it's like an old old film Mm. it's uh american and uh he's 17 or something it's a a little section the song in it is just outrageous it's called top cat pride of the usa and he's 17 and surfing like you're doing all the wiggles and i think sam or matt george is is narrating it and they do a little interview with him and it's just so iconic man and then then after that, uh, the search movies, and then after that, he popped up at Shawno's fiftieth, and that's it. That's all I knew. Fortieth. Fortieth. Sorry, sorry, Shawno. <laughs> <laughs> he looks fifty. But yeah, I just had no. Of all the years I was working on surf mags, I had no bump-ins with him. I, I kind of saw him once at J Bay, and um, yeah, I just had nothing to do with him. So my my whole uh, experience with Tom making this was that one phone call where he told me to bend it and a couple of text messages. Cause he, he does the music in that sort of big wave jazzy section. That's all him. And uh, I think he, his son, Pat maybe. Mm. And um, so we were waiting around for that song to come in. And finally, after, you know, a couple of months, I get this text from him and he goes, here's the song. I think it's out of tune. And that was it. That's it, man. Wait, did you uh, send him the section and then he scored the music? No, I sent him the whole movie and like he sent them, he sent the, uh, yeah, so he, he was going to score it, which was hilarious because even that was funny because when we dropped the song in, 
it was wasn't long enough. So we had to like put Amazing. some more music on the front of it. Amazing. Oh man, I just, I, I just everything about Tom is just awesome. It's like you know, like I, like I, my takeaway from the whole experience was like he he lived up to every expectation I had. Yeah. Which was kind of almost nothing, but <laughs> at the same time, yeah, yeah, I came away from going. I, do I know anything other than he is exactly beyond description? Which is with it's important to have that expectation because otherwise you would have been frustrated every step of the way. You yeah, know, like who is this guy? But it's like it's as if like Snoop Dogg can get away with smoking weed anywhere that he goes, and if he doesn't smoke a weed, if he doesn't smoke weed, he'd be disappointed. <laughs> like, hey, dude, why aren't you smoking weed? You know, like, I know we're in a public restaurant right now, Man. but you should yeah. be lighting up a blunt. Someone yeah. asked me the other day, you know, like, uh, is this, the, is this the, the most honest sort of version of Karen we've ever seen? And I was like, I honestly don't know how to answer that. I think the only people who truly know Karen properly are like family, really close friends. And then in, the, in, in terms of like media and people who've worked with him, Kidman, John Frank, Sonny Miller, couple of those guys and you know obviously uh you know there, there's a bit of an inner circle who who know but i am none the wiser yeah. none the wiser and like i'm glad because he he will always hold that place in my mind of being sort of this just iconic mysterious classic character in surfing i agree i don't want to interview him you know like i'd <laughs> rather just have him live in well, in the periphery <laughs> I wish you all the best if you do, mate. <laughs> oh, I know. Seriously. I would fail miserably. Yeah. I did meet him. I've seen him a handful of times, but I met him once at an event somewhere here and uh, approached him and tried to make some small talk with him. But I didn't have a plan in place and I was nervous, so mm. I didn't really get anything out of it. Yeah. Um, was he happy with the film? Well, I, I sent him a text when he sent me the song and I said, oh, did you enjoy the film? And I never heard back, so... I think no news is good news because just judging from the way that he's reacting to, you know, being uh, sort of drawn into his thoughts and feelings on the search at the start of the movie and then, you know, how he's just trying to stay distracted because he doesn't want to engage like that. I feel like I was just, when I asked, like, do you like it? I was just another person saying, what did you think of, of this and that? And he was just like, eh, right. you know, just blowing me off, which I was happy with as well. He's no probably, news is good news. I would have been way more bummed if he said, actually, man, I think we should scrap the whole thing. Like, that's what I was waiting for, you know, because I didn't know. But, yeah, I don't think um, we did any, like you said at the start, you know, does this have any effect on how people are going to view him? I think that your, your, girl, your girlfriend, my wife, they're on point. It's like, no, this guy has been reintroduced to either a whole new generation and a whole broader audience who actually love who he is. Yeah, I agree. Uh, do you think he bleached his hair blonde to yes. capture some of Idolo, <laughs> Idolo Ferrer's demographic? <laughs> no, but in one of the offcuts, he says he's going to dye his hair black. So I'm assuming he dyed his hair blonde as well. Okay. I mean, he yeah. did clearly, but I'm like, I've not seen a 56-year-old dude dye his hair blonde unless he's having a midlife crisis. <laughs> I couldn't reconcile that my Tom Curran did that to himself. Yeah, man. Well, he's just living free. He's yeah, living no free. Kidding. He's living free scrubber. He is. Okay. Who came up with the name for the film? Mate, he did. It's right at the end in the very last credit. He found, yeah. uh, he was doing a beach clean. Him and Bugs just were walking along the beach and he found a scrubber and he went, Oh look, a scrubber, a free scrubber. And me it was and, my favorite part of the film that he actually found a free scrubber, but who, who decided that that would be the right name? Well, Nick uh, Pollitt, who uh, was the editor of the movie, mm -hmm. we were sitting next to each other the whole time. And we were just like trying to come up with names. We had some really bad ones. At one stage we were going to call it anti-social distancing and like, Oh, we're trying to like tie in the COVID theme and all that sort of stuff. But the whole, the whole time, that line where he goes, a scrubber, a free scrubber, like that. We were just like, we just kept saying it to each other. Every single time we sat at the computer, every time we made a coffee, every time I walked into his kitchen, I'd pick up the scrubber and we'd go, a free scrubber. And in the end, we were just like, dude, should we just call this thing free scrubber? And then it just worked out perfect because, I mean, it's just, it sounds like it's abstract, 
it sort of suits the whole tone of the film. But in the end, it was just, he found a free scrubber. It, it sums up Curran perfectly. Yeah, man. It really yeah. does. It, you think that it's poignant? That's the thing. Everything that he says, I'm like, wait a second. Is he a genius? That's the genius of him. Yeah, yeah. No, well, he's definitely uh, living a life of a, uh, a genius life to me. I think he's, he's got a well, pretty It's wide. clear through his surfing what he is, you know what I mean? But yeah. Um, uh, what's up with Goons of Doom? Are you guys uh, hindered by COVID, obviously? Oh, we're hindered by age and having families. Okay. But uh, aside from that, we're in the studio right now. Are you really? Yeah, man. We're recording a new album. I think uh, Killer Whale's already finished about four songs. Ozzy's got three on the go and... I've got a couple as well, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's, it's happening. Amazing. We're have a new one this year for sure, dude. You are you've got your hands full. Let's try to stay uh, try to stay as busy uh, working on projects of zero consequence as much as I can, mate. Good, <laughs> good. Keep it light. Uh, what was the last surfboard that you rode? What are you riding right now? Oh, good question. Actually, the last surfboard I rode was a a js foil this morning no way. i went for a foil man <laughs> yep and how, uh how do you like it uh i'm very tentative on them i i feel like i'm literally gonna die every time i stand up on it yeah. but um actually the board the last board i went had a surf on was uh my dan mcdonald mini simmons it's like uh you know those those yeah, tombstone looking things with the keels that came out and were a bit of a rage ten years ago. Yeah, you were riding one when I when we surfed together. I don't know if it was the same exact board, but you were exactly riding that some board. Oh, okay. Like, it's just my go-to, man. It's just uh, really good, and I actually surfed it uh, on a little right rip bowl at a beach near here after I watched that Mason Ho clip at XXX with Slater. You know, yeah. where they swap boards and I was just going, man, how come there's no waves around here like that? And I uh, found this little ripple and it was just doing exactly that. I had wow. the best surf. And yeah, I mean, I, I've seen that those boards get written off a little bit here and there and uh, I love them. I love I've never them. ridden I them. They're totally, they're totally fun. Hmm. Super straight rails, super fast. Um, not the most sort of like up and down boards if you want to be in the pocket, but who wants to surf like that after free scrubber? You just like go down the line, stand straight do a couple of shimmies and you're styling. Amazing. Awesome. Well, hey, dude, thanks for, uh, thanks for making this happen on such short notice too. Pleasure to talk to you, mate. Absolutely Thank love. You. Love your potty. Love the combos. And um, yeah, I'm just uh, stoked, to, stoked to chat. Man, I'm so stoked to see anything with your name attached to it. So when nice. I saw the Tom Curran thing was coming, I'm like, oh my God, it could not be in better hands. Ah, so cheers. Congratulations awesome, on it. Thanks very much. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Vaughn. Of course, I have to presume that you've already seen Free Scrubber. If not before this interview, maybe you paused this interview just to watch Free Scrubber, which would have been a wise decision. Uh, but if you haven't, I've got it embedded on surfsplendorpodcast.com. You can see everything uh, that Vaughn and I discussed in this episode. I've linked to uh, images of him, images of his work, and postcards from Morgue is on there as well, which I absolutely loved, and you should spend 30 minutes watching. And uh, Ain't That Swell, all of it is on our website. There is also a comment section. If you'd like to leave a comment for Vaughn, I'll make sure that he sees that. And of course, there is the link to subscribe to our podcast work and be entered to win that album, Twinsman. It's a 6-0. It was built for myself and Matt Parker, but uh, hopefully you're our size. Six foot and about 175 pounds or so. I don't know what Matt weighs, but it's probably similar to me. So hopefully, if you win this board, it suits you well. And if not, you might be inspired to just get a custom from Matt. So at any rate, subscribers to the podcast are automatically entered. You can get in on that deal all the way up until the final day of February. So join in the fun and feel good about supporting our work here. Thank you so much. Scott and I are publishing an episode of Spit today, Wednesday. We've been running a day late due to scheduling issues, but... um, 
that's available for you now. Go grab Spit, and then Chaz and I will reconvene on Friday for The Grit. He is in Jackson Hole following Travis Rice around for their natural selection tour, but we're going to record a remote episode. So you can look forward to that on The Grit, and then I'll be back here next week on Surf Splendor. All right, you know my advice for how you should spend the next seven days, uh, as always. This is David Scales for Surf Splendor, reminding you to get back into the ocean, share some waves, and of course, shred on. Mm -hmm.